Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, calls for more details on the government's vaccination plan. Canada's vaccination rate is the lowest in the G7. The Globe and Mail pointed out this morning that Canada will need to vaccinate 300,000 people per day or 2.1 million people per week to meet the September deadline the Prime Minister keeps promising. Canada designates several groups, including the Proud Boys, as terrorist organizations. Seeing the violence, seeing the hate, and seeing the way they divided people in the States, and knowing that they operate with impunity in Canada, this was the right thing to do. We are calling on the government to go further and to ensure that all white supremacist organizations and extreme right-wing groups, which pose the real and urgent threat to Canadian security, are dismantled. And a coalition of rights groups calls for a boycott of the Beijing Olympics. A boycott has pros and cons. It would send a clear message to Beijing that Canadians are incensed. On the other hand, it's probably not likely to secure their release. And I think it's no substitute for a more coherent foreign policy. It's Thursday, February the 4th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. John, thanks for being with us. Morning, Mark. There's been a lot of focus this week on the government's approach to procuring and distributing vaccines in Canada. Lots of evidence that shows that Canada is behind other countries in inoculating people against the coronavirus. Um, The prime minister has been forced to answer a lot of questions about this. Uh, Where do you think we stand? And, And do you think the public is losing patience, even if the government is saying there will be over a million new vaccines procured by the end of March? Yeah, I do think uh, the public is is losing patience. I mean, they're looking south and seeing the U.S. vaccinating, you know, 1.5 million people a day while we're doing 15,000 or so. Um, they're looking at the U.K. where where things are going great guns too. You know, they're not the only comparators. The the the, the leak table of doses administered per 100,000 people. We're now we were in the top 10, and now we're somewhere around 20, 26 in the world, even in the G20. You know, more more comparable countries, perhaps, we're we're sort of halfway down the table and falling. Now, obviously, this is the result of the shortfall of the Pfizer vaccine from the plant in Belgium, which is being expanded, and we we know that the Moderna supply from Spain was reduced twenty percent or so in one shipment, and now we learn another shipment is going to be affected. You know, in total, maybe. Somewhere around 60,000, 70,000 doses of Moderna will have to be made up in March, uh, assuming everything else goes to plan. And somewhere around 400,000 doses of, of Pfizer. So people are watching this and going, you know, why don't we have a domestic vaccine taking up the shortfall? Which I think would have been perfectly possible if, if the government hadn't been involved in the, the CanSino deal, if it had, for example, licensed, licensed the AstraZeneca vaccine in the way that other countries like Brazil and Mexico and Russia and Australia did. Uh, we are going to get AstraZeneca at some point when it is when it is approved by Health Canada, but it will come from India. So I think that people are looking at this and, and sort of shaking their head and wondering why it is that Canada hasn't seemed to get its act together on, on a, a lot of these things. Now, it turns out, I mean, Justin Trudeau has pretty much staked his reputation on the fact that we're going to get... Uh, six million doses by the end of March. To make up that shortfall from Moderna and from Pfizer, it looks like we're going to take vaccine from 
COVAX, which is the the uh, the the vaccination program, ostensibly designed to get vaccine to the third world. It's, it's meant to be a, a a development issue, not a not a, a sort of reserve stash for Canada to to dip into when its uh, primary sources fall short. I mean, there, there is a defence of that argument, saying that we contributed money partly to to, to, to uh, donate vaccine to less developed countries and partly to supply Canada. So the long and the short of it is I think people are just shaking their heads and, you know, there's real anxiety there because this is people's lives. You know, I mean, if you're in your, in your 70s and, you're, and you haven't heard a word about when or where you're going to get the vaccine and yet some of your peers maybe are in the US or in the UK and, and they're being vaccinated. My mother was vaccinated yesterday in Scotland age 77. You know, this feels like Canada has got it wrong. Is it fair to second-guess the government on this, or should people look at this as uh, it was a crisis, uh, it wasn't easy to make decisions, the information was, new information was coming in all the time? What do you think about that? Is it is it fair to look at the government and say, in hindsight, you should have done much better? Well, I think the, the, the Can-Sino deal was inexplicable, whatever your politics are. But the... Uh, but I, but I think it comes down to your politics. If you're if you're sympathetic towards the government, you might give them the benefit of the doubt. But I think the worry for Justin Trudeau is that the the, the sort of middle of the pack voters who that he relies on to to come round to his way of thinking at election time, many of them are now starting to to uh, have their doubts. I mean, there are people who will think that Justin Trudeau is incompetent, whatever he does. But I think that this situation is concerning enough enough people who are not particularly ideological that, you know, he has to hit that March target and he has to hit the September target. And at the same time, he can't control the supply of vaccines coming from other countries. I mean, we, we know that Europe's already looked at this. They're now giving verbal assurances that the supply from Pfizer and Moderna will be honoured. But if those companies uh, ramp up production uh, to supply the shortfall that Canada has, has already seen, is Europe, are European member states going to put up with that? I mean, it seems to me that Spain is is putting on hold its rollout because there's not enough vaccine. And it's not going to be particularly happy when Moderna ramps up its production to, to fulfil Canada's shortfall. And that vaccine is not going to Spain. So, yeah, I think, you know, if, if the US, for example, um, you know, we're expecting at some point the Johnson & Johnson vaccine to be to be approved by Health Canada... In the pretty near future, I would think that's coming from the U.S. If the U.S. decides to curb exports, which it, it has measures in place to do, or if India decides it's not going to export the, the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine to Canada because you know, our relations with India are not great, I mean, that's what happened with China. China decided for political reasons it was not going to allow the CanSino vaccine to come to Canada. And, you know, we're kind of hostage to fortune. Yeah. All right, let's talk about a couple of other topics. Um, we can touch briefly on the government's announcement yesterday uh, that a number of different organizations were designated as terrorist organizations in Canada, including the Proud Boys. I don't think there was any big surprise there, nor any opposition to it. Uh, does it in some way, though, reflect uh, a difference in, in what's going on politically in Canada compared to, say, the United States right now? Well, I think as a marker, it puts a marker down that Canada is serious about taking action against far-right-wing groups. Uh, you know, there are real-world implications to this. It's not just a, um, a symbolic gesture. 
you know, now if you're wandering around with a, a pro boys shirt or sweatshirt on, then you know you're in trouble. If you register support for them online, then you're, you know, you're you're breaching sections of the criminal code. So you, you know, well, I think there's a section of the criminal code that says an indictable offence to collect property um, or make available property related to a terrorist entity. So um, you know, this is a, a, a real concrete move that sends the signal Canada is taking this issue seriously. And finally, let's talk about the call for Canada to boycott the 2022 Winter Olympics, which get underway, I think it's a year from today in in, uh, in Beijing. Uh, human rights groups are suggesting that Canada stay out of it, that it would embolden and strengthen the regime in China. Uh, and there are others saying this should be part of our response to the detention of the two Michaels. Uh, what do you think about that call? Well, I think that the the government's response is nonsensical. I mean, it's it, when this question came up. Uh, I mean, I remember writing about it the first came came up um, sometime in November. And Michael Chong, the Conservative Foreign Affairs critic, said it's something we should consider. The government's response at that time and and still today is that it's nothing to do with them. They're impotent when it comes to the question of a boycott. The decision on whether to participate lies in the hands of the Canadian Olympic and Paralympic Committee, which operates independently of the government. I mean. What kind of foreign policy stance is that to, to basically just shuffle this decision off? I mean, I, I think a boycott, boycott has pros and cons. It would send a clear message to Beijing that Canadians are incensed. Um, on the other hand, it's probably not likely to secure their release. And I think it's no substitute for a more coherent foreign policy, which I think is what you know what Canada is lacking when it comes to China. I mean, Francois-Philippe Champagne when he came into office as Foreign Affairs Minister in late 2019, promised a review of, the, of that policy and a, and, a, and a new enunciation of what how we would deal with China. That never emerged in his whole time. I mean, he was there for a year and it didn't happen. So I think that Canada really does need to come up with a, a, a more multifaceted uh, approach to China. And I'm not sure that a boycott necessarily need be part of that. I mean, I do think that um, we should explicitly recognize that there's a, we're at, there is a values war that we're engaged in with Beijing. And I think we should make sure we're countering Chinese influence in Canada. I think we should make sure that influential people in our governments are not, are not uh, using a revolving door coming out of the government and then working for entities financed by China. I mean, these are concrete issues we should be and could be doing and we're not doing at the moment. But, I mean, China's approach is a patient approach. I don't think, I don't see China doing anything too rash, maybe with the exception of Taiwan. And it it, uh, bides its time. And Canada and its allies have to play China its own game. Be firm and relentless in pursuing its own domestic strategic interests and democratic interests. And but yet engaging with them where our interests overlap and probably not being unnecessarily provocative. Mm. And maybe a, a, a boycott of the Olympics would be unnecessarily provocative. All right. John, great to have your insights on all of this today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post. Canada's vaccination rate is the lowest in the G7. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. 
In the National Post, Matt Gurney argues if Justin Trudeau has a vaccine strategy, now would be a good time to share it. Gurney writes, It's still possible that the federal government's vaccine procurement strategy is going to work out just fine. But the opposite could also be true. We simply don't have enough information to make any informed guesses as to how this will play out. If we had a better sense of the agreements Canada had signed with the possible producers, we could make a more confident guess. But this is Canada, a country where, open by default, doesn't mean what you think it would. So we don't, and we can't. In McLean's, Tom Mulcair argues that bad leadership and sniping have often got in the way of common sense during the pandemic. Mulcair writes, COVID-19 has presented us with an intergovernmental problem the likes of which we've never seen. And there is now an opportunity to rethink our approach to problem solving. If it were not for the insistence of premiers like François Legault and Doug Ford, Justin Trudeau would never have shut down vacation flights. Air travel is pure federal jurisdiction, but the feds had no choice but to finally act. Those same premiers now have to accept that the dire results in their area of responsibility require a willingness to discuss change. At Policy Options, Justin Pichet, Kevin Walby, and Abby Deshman argue COVID's uneven spread in the federal penitentiary system has one solution. They write, With outbreaks clustered in men's medium-security institutions and women's multi-level penitentiaries, a significant release of prisoners is needed. If governments take steps to contain COVID, not people, the number of individuals at heightened risk of COVID-19 transmission inside penitentiaries can be significantly reduced. If governments fail to act, people will continue to be exposed to the harms of COVID-19. In the Toronto Star, Steve Pakin asks if Canada is really safe from Trumpism. Pakin writes, To be sure, we don't seem to have anyone in our political landscape who's as charismatically dangerous as Trump, nor anyone who could purport to be the champion of those feeling left behind by increasing globalization and urbanization. But we shouldn't get cocky in Canada, thinking that Trumpism can't happen here. Many of the required elements don't seem to be present, but we do have political polarization. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Two federal ministers will be on the hot seat today. As CPAC's Martin Stringer reports, the ministers responsible for the government's vaccine procurement and rollout will be appearing before the Commons Committee on industry, science, and technology. Mark, starting at 11 a.m. and for an hour and a half, Public Services and Procurement Minister Anita Anand and Innovation Minister François-Philippe Champagne will be grilled by opposition MPs on the committee. You can expect questions on the government's announcement this week that the Novavax company will be producing some of its COVID vaccine at a National Research Council facility in Montreal, but only by the end of the year. And you can expect questions on the delays and uncertainty in supplies of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. Maybe questions about the fact that Canada is going to be turning to the COVAX International Vaccine Program, which was supposed to focus on poor countries to provide us with some supplementary doses of vaccine. And of course, there will also be questions about Canadian companies which haven't been funded to produce vaccine candidates here in Canada. So Mark, it's a guarantee for a lot of grilling of those two ministers starting at 11 a.m. Eastern at the committee today. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will host a call with provincial and territorial premiers. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will attend question period virtually. 
Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller will join health officials at a news conference to provide an update on COVID-19. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole will hold a news conference to discuss his party's Opposition Day motion. Fisheries Minister Bernadette Jordan will hold a virtual news conference to make an announcement related to the Atlantic Fisheries Fund. Small Business Minister Mary Ng will speak at the Clean Tech Global Workshop. And the Minister of Northern Affairs, Dan Vandal, will provide details on a partnership to advance reconciliation and support Métis economic development. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, February the 4th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.